0: What a great opportunity to worship God in song. Do you, do you kind of identify with the words to that song? Are you, like, longing for that time in your life? How I long to breathe the air of heaven. It means we don't breathe this air anymore. We breathe that celestial air. Where pain is gone and mercy is fills the streets, to look upon the one who bled to save me and to walk with him for all eternity. Hallelujah. You and I are longing for that day. That is a a time that God has promised will unfold before us. And and he sings, uh, we sang about in here the things, sometimes the bad things that happen. And again, I didn't tell Barb what I was preaching until last night. And the songs, as you know, uh, those of you that come on Wednesday nights, uh, are picked out months in advance. So the, you look at the title of our message today, What to Do When Bad Things Happen. That's God working all those things out for his honor and for his glory. We sing about these things things that are difficult to process in life, and then we open God's Word and we study about them and how God can use those challenges in our lives this morning. So last week we finished up our study in the book of Acts, and this morning we're going to jump into not another series quite yet, but we're going to look at a character that we've been associated with for a long time. We've looked at many things that God used him to pen. we've examined his life, examples that he gave that we should follow and even some examples that we shouldn't follow. Of course I'm talking about King David. we've looked at him before he was king and how God used him to defeat the enemy of Israel in the by the name of Goliath with a, a slingshot and a stone. We looked at him, and we saw, we've seen in the Psalms how God just kind of carries him along. Not that everything always goes without a hitch, but even when things are difficult, and hey, look who's walking in the door. Welcome, Petrellas, with an S. All right, glad to have you with us this morning, Wanda. All right, so as we think about this guy David and the struggles that he faced, he was, he was kind of a, an example for us that sometimes life is really good and we're working through those things and we're giving God praise and we're giving him glory and we're saying thank you God for the good times in my life but then sometimes it feels as though the rug has been pulled out from underneath us and we're not on the heights of the good times anymore but we're in the depths of the valley maybe even you might call it the valley of despair and we're just wondering God how are you going to see me through these trials and through these struggles well, this morning we're going to look at what to do when bad things happen. Have you ever faced bad things in your life? And I don't know what you might classify as bad things or difficult times. But I think if I asked you to raise your hand, we all might have our hands up in the air and say, Yes, we've experienced difficult times in our lives. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's... um a financial struggle, maybe it's you, your, your job is new and you don't know how to do everything that you're, is expected of you and, and you're kind of floundering, just wondering, how do I put it all together? Yes, I think we could all agree that there are difficult times in our lives and we probably also know people and have friends, maybe even family members who have been consumed by such bad times. Those bad times have eaten them up and and they have no place to turn or they don't take advantage of the place that they have to turn to. And that, of course, is none other than our great God. We have access to the creator of the universe through his son, Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the son of God, God in the flesh, then today's the day to do that. If you're walking through, as David said in Psalm 23, the valley of the shadow of death, we want you to know that you have nothing to fear. Because he says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You are with me all the time, God. You've promised to never leave me or forsake me. So as we get started this morning, I want to get you thinking in that direction. We've said it again and again and again that the Bible is our source of hope and comfort. It's our source of authority. But how do we actually make that a reality in our lives? We are also certain that the word of God helps us know how to respond to different tragedies that strike. Um, this last week we've been hearing about the tragedy of the fires in Hawaii. But can I? And last week we asked you to pray for the Browns missionaries to Maui, uh, folks that the Newmans know. Uh, Jim reached out to them this week, and you know what? They they did indeed lose their home. They did indeed lose the church. They they no longer have any earthly possessions that they can call their own. It's all gone. And they've had several in their church that have experienced the same thing. It's all gone. And yet, you know what one of their prayer requests is? That God would use them to reach others through this tragedy. Because they have a hope that is beyond this world. They have a hope that sees them through the trials and the difficulties of life. And so you and I, you know what, we have that very same hope that we can go to the creator of the universe who is in control of all things and seek his wisdom and his direction as we maneuver through the tragedies that we call, or we call them tragedies in this life. We're going to look this morning at, at something in David's life that was perhaps maybe one of the most difficult times in his life. At least up until this point, it was one of the most difficult things that he had to face in life. And David's life was not easy. We've seen it before how how he struggled from one thing to another. Sometimes he was living a a life that honored and glorified God and and he faced difficulties at those times. Sometimes those difficulties were self-inflicted. Uh, We we looked at, uh, I don't know how long ago it was, but a message where David was not where he was supposed to be when he was supposed to be there. He wasn't with his army, his troops, with his men fighting like he should have been. He was up in his palace on the rooftop where he shouldn't have been at that point in time. I think when the scriptures say it was the time when kings go off to battle... That's a significant phrase that we sometimes overlook. It tells us that David was not where he was supposed to be. And he got himself into trouble. But you know what? He cried out to God. He confessed. He sought God's forgiveness. God granted it. And God continued to use him for his honor and his glory. We pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 30 this morning. We're going to see that David... Had a choice to make. He could either be part of the problem if he handled it in the wrong way, or he could be part of um, the solution by submitting to God's will and God's plan for his life. His choice could have been, God, why did you do this? God, it's not fair. God, how come? And complained and whined to God about the struggles that he faced, but instead, He didn't respond that way. He didn't, can I say, he didn't react that way. What's the difference between a reaction and a response? Well, in a reaction, the circumstances around you or around the situation, the reaction, control what goes on in the response. In a response, rather, you choose how to act in that situation. It's not a reaction, it's an action. It's a choice that we make. So rather than reacting, being controlled by the circumstances around us, let us respond. And we're going to see this morning that David indeed responded. He didn't react, he rather knew the right choices to make because he was an individual who knew the Word of God, who loved the Word of God, who studied the Word of God, and hey, he even wrote the Word of God. And so he consulted God's will for his life and he responded appropriately. David faced a significant tragedy in his life. We're going to see that this morning. This tragedy could have resulted him in losing his faith, if you will. He could have ceased to be a faithful follower uh, at that moment in his life and possibly even for the rest of his life had he blamed God for what happened. But instead, he didn't blame God. He accepted that as a challenge and as a trial and began to move forward responding to the will of God in his life. David, a mighty man of God, even before he became the king of Israel. We say that because, yes, he defeated giants. He defeated the Philistines. He defeated other enemies of Israel. David, at this point in 1 Samuel chapter 30, is at that point where he's on the run from King Saul for his life. He didn't know if he, well, he did know because God told him he was going to be king. But he didn't know from a human perspective if today might be his last day to walk on this earth. Because the king of Israel, Saul, was pulling out all the stops. It became Saul's ambition in life to kill David. Forget about ruling Israel. Forget about leading the people that God made him king over. Forget about anything that was right. His goal in life, his purpose, was to defeat this man named David. To preserve his own legacy because he knew if David became king, Jonathan would not. That's his son. So David is on the run. We pick him up in the story where he's in the land of the Philistines. David did some pretty drastic things in the land of the Philistines. You remember the the, the time when the scripture says he let his drool run down his beard so that he would appear to be a madman, a crazy man, so that the Philistines would not see him as a threat to the Philistines, but as a madman, uh, he would do whatever they told him to do. That's the desperation that David was facing. He has now been accepted into the Philistines' camp, if you will, or at least up until this point he was. However, even though he'd been accepted, he'd been a little bit deceptive in his workings. Instead of going out and fighting for the Philistines, he was going out and killing the Philistines. And yet they didn't get it. They didn't understand how how they were being... um, undermined by the very works of David who they thought was fighting for them but somebody's getting kind of the clues and they're putting them all together and they're now saying this man David he's not on our side even though he says he's on our side he's still an Israelite he's still a Jew he's still doing what is best for his countrymen we can't have him as part of our army we must we must get rid of him we must dispel him from among our ranks because he's, he's not helping us. He's hurting us. So the king of the Philistines got rid of David. They say, He said, you must go away from us. You can't be part of us anymore. And that was a source of security to some degree for David and his mighty men who were going out and, and doing these mighty acts of war. So, here they are, they've they've kind of had everything that is familiar to them, everything that uh, makes life viable for them has been removed from them. They're now on their own. In fact, they've probably become the enemies of the Philistines. David and his men are told to leave the Philistine army. The Philistine counselors, the advisors to the king say, this is not good for us, you must send them away. So they left. They're making a three-day journey back to what we would call their home base in a place called Ziklag, okay? That was home for them. And as they made this three-day journey from Philistia back to Ziklag, they came home and they found a terrible situation at home. You might know what the situation is. A traveling band of Amalekites had attacked Ziklag and taken captive David and his followers' wives and their children, They plundered Ziklag. There was nothing of value left. They took what was useful, and then they burned the city. Wow. Why? Well, because they didn't like David, and they didn't like David's mighty men. They didn't like what David stood for. And David and his men returned to find the utter destruction that had been placed upon Ziklag. And when they realized what happened, they wept. And the Bible says they wept until they had no more tears. Have you ever been at that point in your life where you've cried and you've cried and you've cried and you feel like you should continue crying but there's no more tears left to cry? What a desperate situation to find yourselves in. They were in great despair and, and so much so that the mighty men of valor, as scripture calls them in other places, were beginning to turn on David. David. They were beginning to think, David, this is all your fault. We are here. We are suffering. We are struggling. We have lost our families. We have lost our possessions because of you, David. If it weren't for you, these things would not have happened to us. You see, Satan has a way of taking our minds to places we don't normally go when things are bad. Satan likes to make us blame God and those who are following God for the difficulties that we face in our lives. And you know what? That's the furthest thing from the truth. God always has our back. God is always there for us. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. David knew that. Psalm 121, I will lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from? My help comes from the maker of the heavens and the earth. He will not suffer your foot to be moved. David knew the goodness of God, the protection of God, the the provision of God throughout his life. But right now, Satan is trying to cause him to question that in his life. God, why? How come you allowed this to happen? We're trying to do what you want us to do. And David's men are looking at him as their leader, and and David now has to respond. He can respond with a human response that would say, God, this is all your fault. It's not my fault, it's your fault. Or he could lead well, and he could respond in a God-honoring way. There was no comfort or hope to be found in the situation that David and his men were in. They could only find hope and comfort in their God. In the one who had provided for them from the very moment that they banded together as a group of men to do what was right for Israel and for the God of Israel. So what does David do? Well, David calls for the priests. That's good counsel. That's That's a good response because the priests are to lead us in the way that we should go based on what the word of God says. I, I love it when people call me and say, Pastor, can you help me with this? Can you pray for me about this? Can you, can you, how should we respond? And I might not know the answer. In fact, a lot of times I don't know the answer. So I, I you know what we should do? We should, we should go to the word. We should seek it out in God's word. We should, uh, I'll find a response for you in God's word. If I don't know an answer to a question that you give, you, you pose to me, I'm not going to make up an answer. I'm going to ask God to give wisdom and direction and and to, to help us understand it through the pages of Scripture. That's imperative that we respond based on what God says in his word. So as David responds and he brings the priests in, he, he asks for their wisdom, he asks for their direction. We see that God answers David David's prayers and he opens da- doors for David to be successful in leading his men at that point in time. The end result is that David found the roaming band of Amalekites that destroyed Ziklag and took his family and his children and the families and children of his, his followers they, they found them. It wasn't an easy thing, but God's direction was all along the way. And they were able to bring justice to the situation and, more importantly, bring their family back home. Let's take a look at it as we look at First Samuel chapter 30. But before we do that, let's ask God to bless our time together in his word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we understand that many times we find ourselves in difficult situations And many times in those situations, we don't really know what to do. And that's okay. As long as we do what we know we should do, and that is seek your will. Seek your direction. Seek your comfort. Seek your guidance. And Father, as we do that, like David, you open doors. You bring along people that can help us with the struggles that we have in life currently. And Father, I know that there are people sitting in our our worship center this morning that are struggling with different things in their lives. I know that there's people who are struggling with things that haven't shared them with us as a church yet. And so, Father, as we sit here as humans, we have a choice to make. We can respond as humans might respond, which may not be the right way to respond or we can respond as david responded in this situation help us lord to discover and read and find out what his response was and to emulate that response in our lives and see you work as only you can work and we pray these things in the name of our savior who gives us the right to come to you and ask for such wisdom and help jesus christ your son our savior we pray amen well as we look at 1 Samuel chapter 30, um, we're going to see a gruesome discovery. Verses 1 through 6 says, Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were with him from small to great. They did not kill anyone but carried them away and went, there, went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. That is not the welcome home party that they were expecting when they got back to Ziklag. They were expected to be greeted by their family, by their, by their wife, and, and by their loved ones, and to enjoy a time of just a homecoming and, 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 and being blessed by seeing the faces of their loved ones. That did not happen. Instead, they found this tragedy. We see the destruction of Ziklag. It wasn't that they just took the children and the wives of these men, but they burned the city to the ground. Now, that's something that invading armies did to show complete domination over their enemy. When they burned the city so there was nothing left, there was the, the thought in their minds, there is no way they can recover, there is no way they can rebuild, they are done. That's what the Amalekites thought was the truth for David and his men. They thought that finally now we've conquered them. We've beaten them down. We've, if you will allow, we've stepped on their necks and we've crushed them into the ground. That's what they thought. Well, you can, you can imagine the response. If you were in their situation, you would be distraught just as they are distraught. Their families are gone. They, they, they were more concerned about their families than they were about the condition of their town. We've heard it on the news that the people of Maui they say we're going to rebuild. Things can be obtained again, houses can be rebuilt, possessions can be restored, but lost family members cannot. They cannot be replaced. They're gone. And unfortunately, sometimes gone forever if they've they've been put to death or if they've died. So David and his men were distraught over knowing that their wives and children were gone. They didn't know the condition of their wives and children. They assumed them to be dead. However, there was hope because they did not find their bodies there in Ziklag. They were distraught. And we might think, who did such a thing? Well, it was the Amalekites. And then we might stop and think a little bit more if we know Israel's history, that the Amalekites, they are bad people. When the Israelites were journeying to the Promised Land, it was the Amalekites who came from behind and and attacked the stragglers of Israel and killed them and took whatever they had. And it was the Amalekites that God said, because they did this, they will face the punishment of Almighty God. And God chose King Saul to inflict that punishment upon the Amalekites. But you know what? King Saul didn't do that. King Saul spared some of the Amalekites. Remember that passage back in First Samuel chapter fifteen, where David or where where um, yeah. Samuel confronts Saul for his disobedience. Saul had gone into the tabernacle and made offerings to God, and it wasn't his position to do that. But he was too much of in a hurry, and he thought, I'm in control, I'm the king. So he took Samuel's place, and he went in, and he offered these sacrifices, and he kept the animals, some of the good, the very best animals, and he spared King Agag. And, and, and Samuel gets there, and he says, Samuel, or Saul, what is it you have done? And, and Saul says, I've obeyed. Oh, really? Then why do I hear the bleeding of sheep and the lowing of oxen in the background? We don't normally bring those things into battle with us. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, that, you're, you're right. That's, that's what the people, the, uh, the soldiers, they kept that stuff to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Had he been the leader he should have been, he would have said, no, 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 we're not keeping these animals to sacrifice. We're utterly destroying them. That was the ban that was placed on the Amalekites to completely wipe them out. And who is this man, Agag? Why did you keep the king alive? Bring him here. And they brought Agag before Samuel, and Samuel put him to death immediately, in a gruesome way. To make a statement that when God says do something, you do it. Had Saul done what God told him to do, this event in Ziklag would not have happened. The Amalekites, a thorn in the side of the Israelites because the Israelites failed to be obedient in a command of God to them. Ziklag, or the Amalekites hanging around as a thorn, as a, as a reminder that when we disobey God, there are consequences for that disobedience. They're distraught, but they understand the reason for their being distraught. David and his men were not only distraught, but they were despondent. They didn't know what to do. You know, we often find ourselves in a place where something happens and we got to stop and we got to think and we pray. Okay, we now, now we know what to do. We know, we know how to move forward. David and his men did not have a clue. Things are not going well for David. He's still on the run from Saul who wants to kill him. He had found a place of solace among the Philistines and now they don't want him anymore. He was dispatched from the Philistines, sent on his way, dishonored by them. Because they didn't trust him anymore. And now he comes home to this terrible tragedy. David is in a spot in his life where things could not get much worse, could they? What does he do? How does he respond? Well, the divine commentary on on David's response is found here. It says, David and the people who were with him raised their voices. They wept until they had no more strength to weep. And then what did David do? Well, he turned to his God. We see in the second part of verse 6 to verse 8 that David seeks direction from the Lord. This is important. It says here in verse 6, Because of the soul of all the people was grieved every man for his sons and his daughters, but, there's that word, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. What's that next word? The Lord, his God. God was personal to David. David was seeking God. David had a relationship with God. Saul said to the Lord, your God. He didn't have that personal relationship. Scripture says, he strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Abimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he, that's the Lord, answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. What did David do? He sought the Lord. He wanted the Lord's direction. He was burning with anger. His heart was probably filled with hatred towards the Amalekites. He wanted revenge. But you know what? He knew that he could not seek revenge in his own strength. He knew he needed to act as the Lord would have him to act. That's a good good lesson for us. We need to be inspired by the Lord. David's strength was inspired by the Lord. He strengthened himself in the Lord. Can I tell you this? When we have no strength left in ourselves, we have no hope in the things of this world, we can always be strengthened by the Lord our God. He is there for us in the good times And in the bad times. And we need to remember that. Because you know why we're in the good times? It's his blessing. It's his goodness. It's not our own goodness. It's not anything that we deserve. It's because he has been blessing the way for us. So in the good times, we thank God, we praise God, we give Him glory, we give Him honor. We find our strength in Him to continue on, even in the good times in the Lord. And then in the bad times, when those good times are just a memory, and when we're thinking, where have they gone? Why have they gone? God is still there. We still find our strength in the Lord our God, like David found the strength in the Lord his God. This word strengthened it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting word, and if I asked you to tell me what it meant, you probably wouldn't come up with the right answer, so let me tell you what it means. The word, the word strength in here, it means to fasten to, to attach yourself to. In other words, David hitched his chariot to God because he had no strength in himself, and he knew that his strength could only come from his God, Paul speaks of the same thing over in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where he says in verses 8 through 10, and he said to me, my, sorry, verses 9 through 10, my grace is sufficient for you, for my, this is God talking to Paul, my God's strength is made perfect in my, in our weakness. Therefore, Paul said, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Our weakness causes us to look to our God and find our strength in only him. Stand our tallest when we're on our knees. I'm not sure, but can I be honest with you? I'm not sure I've been to a point, and I'm not asking God to bring me there, but where I've had nothing left. And I I find I desperately, desperately need him. He's been so good to us over the years that we don't know what it means when He says, I will pleasure in my infirmities and in my reproaches and in my needs and in my persecutions and in my distress. We talked about that in our study in the book of Acts, didn't we? Things like being in the depths for days on end. Being stoned and left for dead. Being beaten with a rod to the very point of death only save one beating. Because one more would have killed him. We've not been there. Thank you for that. And we don't know if we ever will be there. But if we find ourselves there, where do we turn? And that's what David is facing right now. Where does David turn? Where did Paul turn? To his God. It says, David inquired of the Lord. Here's another difference between David and King Saul. King Saul did not look to the Lord for direction. He took matters into his own hands. He did things his own way. He went into the the tabernacle and made sacrifices. He goes to the witch of Endor. And he tries to call up Samuel because he needs advice from somebody. He could have gotten that advice from God. But he didn't seek God. He went about things his own way. Is that our commentary sometimes? That we go about things our own way? We need to we need to be sure that we're not trying to go things about our, our own way. We need to be seeking God because God is the one who can give us deliverance or can give us the strength to make it through those difficult times or both. We see here again that David calls for the priest and the ephod and he consults the Lord about what his next step should be. It's always good and it's never a bad idea to ask God for wisdom. In the passage we just referred to in 2 Corinthians Corinthians, uh, 12, verse 8, it says, Concerning this thing, Paul's writing, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that he might depart from me, that, that it might depart from me. I asked God three times, Paul said, to remove this thorn in my flesh. What was God's response? No. You get to keep it. And you get to find your strength in me. And when David was told, or when Paul was told three, no, told no three times, he said, "I will rather glory in my infirmities, for when I am weak, then I am strong." He learned that his strength is not in himself. David inquired of the Lord. Paul inquired of the Lord. We also should inquire of the Lord. And then we see the Lord's instruction directed David. He sought the Lord's will. David cried out to God. And guess what? God heard him. Can I tell you this? When you cry out to God, God hears. God is listening for his children to cry out to to him. And when they do, he answers them. He he responds. David's question was, it was a very specific question, should I pursue and overtake them? Not just should I pursue them, but should I pursue them and overtake them? Pursuing them would have been easy. Get on your horse and ride. But what do I do when I catch them? I've told you the story before of the people that broke into our house when we were in South Africa. And, and I looked down the passageway, and there's three of them standing in the hallway. And not thinking, I run down the hallway. Three of them, one of me. I run down the hallway. Fortunately, God was pushing them out the door. And as they were running out the door, they climbed over the wall two of them very quickly, the third one standing on a, a cinder block and I grab him by the ankle. I've got this ankle. What am I going to do? I could pull him back down, but you know what? His buddies are probably going to come back to help him. And there's three of them and only one of me. I, my mind started clicking then. God started directing. Hey, dummy, let go of his ankle. Just let him go. It's only stuff. Come to find out, I don't know that they got it. And you know what? It wasn't even our stuff. It was the other missionaries' house who we were living in. It was their stuff. But, you know, we kind of think our own way. And and when we don't think right, we don't ask God for direction, we don't always think in a way that is most beneficial to us. Because God is always looking out for us. God is always taking care of us. You and I, we need to seek God's direction. We need to seek His wisdom. The Lord answered, David, should I pursue and overtake them? The Lord answered, yes, pursue. And he says, you will overtake them. And you will get everything back that they took from you. Not just the, the, the spoil, but the families. That's what the men were most concerned about. And God said, yes, you'll get them all back. Every one of them. Not one of them will be missing. What a great encouragement this had to be to David and to his men. Okay, God, we're going to go. We're going to pursue knowing that it's what you want us to do. Man, how hard would it have been if God said, no, sit back and wait? We like like to pursue, don't we? Sometimes it's hard to sit back and wait. But God said, go, go get them. I'm with you. You'll be successful. So the pursuit begins. David and his men mount up, and they begin tracking down the enemy of David and the enemy of God's people. Remember, this is not just an enemy of David. This is an enemy of all of Israel. as an enemy of God. These guys are on their way. The, the, the plunderers, they're on their way. They think, ah, oh, we've got them. We beat David. We beat David's God. We, we, we've, we've thumbed our noses in the face of the Israelites. Ha, look at us, the Amalekites. They thought they could get rid of us. The pursuit begins. Being absolutely confident because God told them that they would be victorious. They pursued. They were acting in what? They were acting in faith. God told them to do something. They ordered their life accordingly. The pursuit begins. God is on the move. God has prepared a person to help David lead them to the enemy. How do they know where to go? We don't know really where to go. It's been, it's been days since we, since they left. But God left a person from the Amalekite camp behind. The man was sick. He was an Egyptian. He was sick. And as they came across this man, uh, David gave gave him some nourishment. What would have been normal fare when you found a a straggler left behind from the enemy's camp? Put him to death. Yeah. Why would we keep him? He's not going to turn on these guys. He's not going to give us anything useful. David gave him nourishment. An opposite reaction, or a reaction, not a response. An opposite action of what we might think would be the norm for David and his warrior men. In vengeance to strike out against this guy because it's the first thing that they see that might give them some satisfaction in this whole situation they find themselves in. But David nourished this man. And then they had a conversation and they, he said, "Do you know where they're going? Do you know where they are? Can you help us find them?" And an agreement was reached, and the pursuit continued. This guy wasn't left there by chance. This guy wasn't left there because the Amalekites thought they might, he might give them away. This man was left there because God determined he was the one he was going to use to direct David's paths after these Malachites. And then we see God's promise of deliverance is fulfilled. Not only did God provide David with some, someone that would lead them to the enemy, but when they found the enemy, the enemy was in no condition to fight. Listen to what the scripture says about them. They, the Amalekites, were spread out all over the land. Everywhere in the area which they found that, the Amalekites were spread out all over the place. They were eating and drinking and dancing. In other words, they were celebrating. They thought that they were far enough away, now we can just kind of let down and we can let go and we can, we can celebrate our great victory over David and his mighty men. They were enjoying the spoil, Scripture says, that they had taken that did not belong to them. They were having a grand old time. And then Scripture goes on to tell us that David attacked them from the evening until the end of the second day. And God gave David a great victory. The next verse in the text says, Not a man of them escaped, except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. We don't know how big a group the Amalekites were, but it's safe to say that most of them perished in this battle. David was being obedient, David was acting in faith, and he defeated most of these Amalekites. As we continue to read the text, we see that God indeed kept his promise. Not only did they get their women and children back, but they recovered everything that the enemy stole from them. Did you catch that in the text? The Bible says nothing was missing. Everything was recovered. Wow. God made a promise. Did he keep it? He sure did. Why? Because that's God. That's who he is. That's what God does well, is that the end of the story? Nope. David was determined to go and do the next right thing. Sometimes when we don't have the answer, we don't see all the way down the road as far as we want to do. And some of you have asked me this before, and you know what I, you know what I say to you, do the next right thing. Don't worry about the next ten right things, just do the next right thing. Whatever you know to be the next right thing to do because you know what God God's word says about it, you do the next right thing. And then you do the... Next right thing, and the next right thing. That's what David was determined to do. The next right thing. It's important to note here that David did not get so wrapped up in the victory over the Amalekites that he forgot to do the right thing. And what's the next right thing in this situation for David? And what's the next right thing for every time we have a difficulty that we see God bring us through? The next right thing is to thank God for that victory, to praise God for what He is doing in our midst, to give Him glory. David stopped, and he thanked God for the victory. The Lord gave them that victory. It wasn't a man-earned victory. It was a victory from God himself. And we see here that David does something that might not be normal. You see, as they were getting ready to go after the Amalekites, there was a group of David's mighty men who found within themselves no strength to go on in this battle. And so they said to David, David, we can't go any further. We're we're done. We're spent. We're, we're, We're exhausted. We can't continue on. So David said to them, okay, stay here. Stay here. Guard the stuff that's left here and just don't, you know, get your strength back. Remember, David is a warrior. He's a go at all costs. He's a no hold back kind of guy. And for some reason, he told these guys, just stay stay here, get your strength back. Build up your strength so you can join us later. So David and his men, after they recover everything that was taken, they go back to these men. And you know what they do? Well, despite what David's other mighty men were telling him, David shared the spoil with all the soldiers. He provided for and honored even those men who stayed back behind. That's not a normal thing. That's not a soldier kind of thing to do. The men that were with him, they said, no, we, we fought this battle. We, we got this stuff back. This is our stuff. That was normal for battles. You didn't share spoil with others that didn't participate in the battle. David said, no, 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 no. God wants us to share. And so you know what David doesn't do here? He doesn't give in to the peer pressure. He doesn't give into the pressure of those around him who said, do something different. He did what he knew was right. He was committed to doing the right thing before the Lord his God, even if those around him didn't agree that it was the right thing. He stayed faithful and did what was right. And then we see in the text that he praised the Lord for the for God's help and protection. David didn't take credit for the defeat of the enemy. David didn't let his men take credit for the defeat of the enemy. David didn't say, look, we came up with this great solution. Instead, he gave credit to his great God. Look at verse 24, 1 Samuel chapter 30. It says, but David said, you shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. The Lord gave it to us. He has preserved us. And He has given into our hand the band that came against us. God is recognized as being the source of victory, the source of protection, the source of provision. Makes me think of the time when Jesus was confronted by ten lepers. They came hearing that Jesus was Uh, able to heal them and so David says yes be healed go your way and those 10 lepers they went they did what Jesus said and they were healed how many came back one one leper came back and said Jesus thank you thank you for what you did Uh, there was no other way for us to receive you see leprosy was a was a was a thing that if you got it you had it there was no cure for it and yet, these men in faith went to Jesus, and Jesus healed them, and the one came back and praised God. It's the right thing to praise God for the victories he gives us in our lives. David praised God and gave credit to God for the victory. I want to read something for you. It's a song by Wren Collective. It describes how trusting God, even in hard times, is right. I'll find a way to praise you from the bottom of my broken heart because I think I'd rather strike a match than curse the dark. Yeah, I will find a way to thank you though the bitterness is real and hard because I'd rather take a chance on hope than fall apart. I don't think I'm ready to surrender to the dark. No, even if my daylight never dawns, even if my breakthrough never comes, even if I'll fight to bring you even if I'll fight to bring you praise. Even if my dreams fall to the ground, even if I'm lost, I know I'm found. Even if my heart will somehow say hallelujah anyway. Yes, I hear the hymn of triumph in the wilderness of my lament, in the lowlands or the mountaintops. I won't forget all that goodness that you have shown me, the promises that you have kept. There's better days on the horizon up ahead. Even if my daylight doesn't come, even if my breakthrough never comes, even if I fight, I'll bring bring you praise. Even if my dreams fall to the ground, if I'm lost, I know I'm found. In my heart, I will somehow say, Hallelujah, anyway. In the midst of the difficulties, Hallelujah, anyway. David gave praise to his great God. And then, he didn't stop there. We see that David gave presents to the elders of Judah. Remember, David was estranged from Israel. Right? And yet, he goes to the elders of Judah and he gives to them some of the spoil that they got back, which was actually theirs. David shared of the spoil that he had, even though he was afflicted by his enemies. He didn't let the sorrow of agony of defeat bother him, draw him back, prevent him from doing what was right. He did what was right. He didn't have to give anything to anyone, but because God had blessed him, he desired to be a blessing to others as well. See, David responded when a bad thing happened to him. He didn't just react, he responded. He sets a great example for us when we find ourselves in the midst of difficult times. David sought direction from the Lord, his God, his Lord, same Lord that we have today. He sought direction from God and he followed that leading. Today, we have the blessing of the whole counsel of God's word. We hold it in our hands. It's sitting on our laps. We have the Holy Spirit who helps us understand this word that we hold in our hands. Aren't you glad that Jesus said, if I don't go, I can't send you the helper, but I'm going away. I'm going to send you another of the same kind. In other words, I'm going to send you the third part of the triune Godhead. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit so that when you when the Holy Spirit indwells you, He fills you, He takes uh, your heart and life and makes you a child of God, we can count on Him giving us deliverance, giving us direction, giving us guidance. If we were to open up this book and just read it apart from the Holy Spirit, we would throw it away and say, I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's because apart from God's children, apart from the Holy Spirit living in you, this is not for you. You won't get it. The Holy Spirit doesn't live inside of you. But because Jesus said, I'm going, and when I go, I'm sending another. I'm sending the Comforter. The Comforter will guide you into the truth of the Scriptures of God's Word. Hallelujah. Praise God for that promise being fulfilled. Just like the promise to David, pursue and overtake, you will have victory. The Holy Spirit gives us the wisdom to understand the promises of God in the pages of his book. The Lord promised David deliverance, and you know what? The Lord promised to be with us all the time, no matter what. We, not too long ago, finished a study in the book of 1 Peter and 2 Peter Peter says in his first epistle in chapter 5, verse 7, cast all your anxieties upon him. That's Jesus. Why? Because he, Jesus, cares for you. We have struggles. We have difficulties. We have things that cause us to be anxious, to fear, to worry, to fret. We don't have to keep them to ourselves. We don't have to fear over them. Cast all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. It doesn't say we're not going to have things to worry about. But when they come, we can give them back to God and know that God will deliver us. Whichever deliverance He chooses for us, we know it will be the best. Our gracious Father in heaven, we come before you this morning, understanding and knowing that difficult times are often part of your plan for our lives. James says that when those difficult times come, when the testing of our faith comes, we can trust in you, knowing that the trying of our faith works patience in our lives. (laughs) We had a little conversation yesterday morning in the men's group about patience. And Father, sometimes you want to give us patience, but you give it to us through trials and difficulties and, and struggles. you never leave us during those struggles you're always there and you want us to reach out to you and to let you lead us and direct us and you want us to respond by giving you glory and praise and honor so father wherever we are in our lives today whether it's on the mountaintops or if it's in the valleys help us to be praising you for what you are doing in our lives Father, as we started our service this morning, there were lots of requests that we shared with the church family. There was even praises that we shared with the church family. Father, we know that you are a God who is in control of all of these things. We thank you for that and we ask that when you resolve those matters in our lives, whether it's in a a short period of time or, or a days, weeks, months, even years later, that we look back at you and we say thank you for the strength, thank you for the wisdom, thank you for the direction, thank you for your will being done in my life. Father, help us not to let fear overcome us, but help us to cast our fears upon you, knowing that you will never leave us. Thank you for Jesus, who is the one who bears our fears. and In his name we pray. Amen.